Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Lord, bless our time this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2, and we'll read verses 14 through 18 together. And this is that, this is that day on the first Pentecost after the resurrection. There were all kinds of people from all different areas, regions, countries, and nations that were there in Jerusalem at the time. And they were all critical because the apostles started to speak in tongues. And everybody looked around and said, what's going on? Aren't these people all Galileans? And yet, how do they know how to speak our language? Whether they could speak it or not, that's what each of these individuals heard. And so there was some confusion. In verse 13, it says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So join me with verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days that God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and younger men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is not that day. That first Pentecost after the resurrection is not that day. But it's interesting that here is a fulfillment of what something that we're going to be reading about today. And it's not just the only time it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the future, yet still ahead of us. And it's interesting, Peter identifies this, and he says, and it shall come to pass, shall, future, it shall come to pass that in the last days, not the end times, but in the specific last days, the Lord God will pour out I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. I wonder if that means also the animal kingdom as well. And His peace will be upon everything that has flesh. It's an interesting thing to think about. But for today, He says, this is what's going on. And when the miracles of God take place, People turn around and they say, what's going on? I don't get this. What's the normal explanation for this? Well, sure, they're all drunk. They're all full of new wine. 
It was only 9 o'clock in the morning, though. Nobody was drinking to that excess that early in the morning. And certainly not among the Jews and not among these new believers from, from Parthia, from the Medes, from the Elamites, as well as in Judea, in Cappadocia, and Pontus, and in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They identified it. It's the wonderful works of God. That's what they're hearing. That's what Peter was teaching. That's what all of these apostles were speaking of, the wonderful works of the Lord Jesus Christ that they were witness to in their day. And what he tells us is that there's a day coming when this will repeat itself. And many, many more miracles at the same time because God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. I think it's in Isaiah where it speaks of the seven spirits of God. It makes me wonder just how many different ministries of His Spirit there are. It's incredible when we think of it. But even 800 years before Christ, the Spirit of our Lord had been speaking. And Joel was listening, and he was told to share the Word of God that he heard. In the first chapter of Joel, it speaks of it speaks of an invading army. It speaks of desolation come to the land. It speaks of locusts of insects. And it speaks of war and conquering and famine. That was the kind of a vision that Joel saw. And he continues in verse 2. I'm sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Joel continues and he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. All the inhabitants of the land tremble. Day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Joel sees the day that is yet in the future, 800 years before Jesus. He sees it in the mind of a man of that time, a man of that understanding of that time. And he describes it in the words of that time so that it makes sense to the people. Now, one of the things that we know is that language is pretty dynamic. There are new words that come into our language. Webster has to update his dictionary every year. It's incredible when we see the dynamics of language, but we've got a man born 800 years before Christ. He is a prophet of Judah, 
And he is among the first to really speak directly to the end times. He said, the day of the Lord cometh. It is nigh at hand. It's right around the corner. The day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people with a strong there hath not been ever the like neither shall be any more after even to the years of many generations now Joel is speaking more directly of the first fulfillment of this prophecy prophecy almost always has a double fulfillment the first fulfillment is one that happens within, a, within a, a few years or perhaps a couple of hundred years so that the Jews know with a certainty that there was a true prophet in their midst and he was speaking the Word of God through the Holy Spirit and he was speaking it with assurance and with certainty and with authority because he's speaking it with the Word of God. By the Word of God. As the Word of God. Whatever preposition you want to put there, in front of that, it was with God continually. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong there hath not been ever like it before, nor there will there be for many generations. For many generations, there will be another, another fulfillment. He's telling us ahead of time that this is the first fulfillment, because the Babylonians were about were about to invade Israel. Now the invasion is directed by God. God often uses the enemies of His enemies and the enemies of the Jews to draw them into judgment. And when it comes to Babylon, that's exactly what they did. They invaded the northern ten tribes and carted them away into Babylon. And then they came again and they took Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes, the ones that boasted because they had the temple, the ones that boasted because they're the ones that didn't get carried away before, so God must have His hand on us. We need to be careful what we boast about, looking down on others and considering ourselves the lucky anointed ones. Because eventually, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin also got taken off into Babylon. Israel's sin was their failure to allow the land to rest between crops. We know now that 
and most farmers also are very well aware of it, that every seven years you rotate your crops. You don't grow the same crops on the same piece of land every year because it drains those nutrients that are needed for that crop out of the soil. Isn't that right, Paul? <laughs> Paul knows. So because of their sin of not rotating their crops, not letting the land rest and regain its strength, they were going to be carried away for 70 years until the land had rested to its full degree again. And then they would be returned, as we know from reading the Scriptures, that they did return after 70 years. They were told to return. But right now, we've got Joel telling them, look out. There's an invasion coming. They are going to be organized. They're going to be coming as an army. They're going to be coming with so many people that you won't be able to count them. In verse 3, he says, a fire devours before them. And behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden ahead of them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness, yea, nothing shall escape them. God is purging His land through this invading army. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we need to remember that after the Jews were released from their Babylonian captivity, Babylon went downhill. He used the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to judge his people. But then he judged the Babylonians for their cruelty during the invasion. It was like a Garden of Eden, is what we just read in verse 3. It was like a Garden of Eden before them, and behind them it was a desolate wilderness. Nothing escaped them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of the mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble. A strong people set in battle array. If you've ever watched a brush fire or seen a grass fire even or a stubble fire, you can hear the flames go through those weeds. It goes through the grasses. It has its own sound. It's like a rushing wind. And there are so many of them. They, they appear as horsemen. And that's how they run. They're arrayed in battle array. In verse 6 it says, Before their face the people shall be much pained. All the faces, all faces shall gather blackness. The soot from the flames. The smoke. If you've ever been in a smoky building or in a smoky field, the smoke, it clings to you. You can feel the soot on your skin. Their faces turn black with it. 
All faces shall gather in blackness. But the faces are pained because they're watching their culture, their city, their crops go up in flames in front of their eyes. All their work. Verse 7, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one in his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. They are about to just trample everything in front of them. Nobody's breaking ranks. They've got a plan. They've got an agenda. They've got a hill. They've got a valley to take. They're marching through the countryside. Neither shall one thrust another. They all have one plan and one thought in mind. Destroy. They shall walk everyone in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. This is rather supernatural. False gods of Babylon, false gods of the Chaldean people, they have their own power too. It's a spiritual power driven by the enemies of God and the enemies of the cross. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them and the heavens shall tremble. Well, this mighty army that's coming in the invasion, they're now creeping into homes and everything, and now there are earthquakes, and the sky is rumbling with all kinds of storms, thunder, no doubt lightnings. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. When you get into a hurricane, when you get into a major storm, when you get into tornadoes, when you get into earthquakes, natural disasters, the sun is blotted out. It is a darkness. It's not a bright, shining day. Not as the storm's going through. Even the stars shall withdraw their shining at the night. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great. For He is strong that executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Who can stand up to it? When God's great tribulation takes place, Nobody's going to be able to stand. Everybody will be running to and fro. Number one will be their first priority. Me, myself, and I. Self-preservation shall be the name of the game in, those day, in that day. God's camp is very great. For He is strong that executes His Word. Literally, He's fulfilling His Word in this great day of the Lord that's coming. And it doesn't matter how big the armies of the world are. They'll all be quaking 
They'll all be shaking. They'll all be doubting. They'll all be worried about their own well-being. Each man himself. So from this invading army in Israel that Joel sees in his vision, he sees them doing their worst. He sees them robbing. Not only have they trampled and burned the countryside and all the crops and all the foodstuffs, he sees them going into houses and destroying housing, pillaging, stealing, thieving. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. God steps in and says, okay, that's enough. These are still my people. This is still my land, Israel. Enough already. Who shall be able to stand in that day? Who can abide it? Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart. Now he's speaking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, of Israel. All these people with blackened faces, they're desperate. They're desperate to have some level of hope for themselves, for their families, for their country, for their faith. In the New Testament, Jesus says, well, they speak and they, they offer praise, but praise with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So in verse 12, he says, There is also now, saith the Lord, turn, even, turn ye even to me with all your heart. Not this half-hearted stuff that you've been doing for so long. Turn to me with all of your heart. 100%. Give it up. You're not succeeding. Your enemies and mine can run you over like a Mack truck but now me and my armies are here to save. To save to the uttermost. So now now that your salvation is here, turn to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. When the Jews would go into mourning, one of the first things they would do is to rend their garment. They would tear their garment. And God says in in verse 13, He says, Rend your heart, not your garments. It breaks God's heart when there is a half-hearted response to His presence in our lives. And so He says, okay, it's time for you to rend your heart and not just your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious, He is merciful, He is slow to anger and of great kindness and it repenteth him of the evil. God hates to bring judgment upon his beloved, his people, the Jews. In the modern day, it also includes the Christians, the believers, the New Testament church. He hates sending judgment, but sometimes that is the only way he can get our attention. And be reminded that sometimes we're just 
going through the motions, speaking Christianese, doing nice good things here and nice things there, but rarely thinking or thanking God for His goodness. So he says, if you're going through desperate times, turn unto me. Cry out to me. I'll hear you. Pray unto me. Repent. And I can heal your land. If my people, which are called by my name, will repent, will humble themselves and repent and pray unto me, he said, I will hear your prayers and I will heal your land. We don't hear much about prayer in churches these days. Our lives here in this country get so busy that sometimes God's prayer, prayers to God are, are left at the wayside. Or there's said on the way to work while you're speeding at 55 or 60 miles an hour. And at those speeds, you're driving so fast that you can't give all your attention and all your focus to God. He gets a little of it. You're trying to maintain your life in a speeding automobile or on a bus or on the train or even just on your bike or just walking trying to dodge Satan's distractions. I find it interesting even with myself when I'm walking on a sidewalk someplace, my, my brain immediately goes back to my, my years as a four-year-old to seven-year-old. Step on a crack, you break your mother's back. Inadvertently, you skip over those cracks. You deliberately make the choice to not step on the crack. That was, that was just drilled into us at least in my day. But that's a distraction. We can't, even, we can't even walk and still give God our full attention. And that's why God tells us, enter into your prayer closet. Get alone with me. Talk to me. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and it repents him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Who knows if you're going to do that, if you're going to come back and be able to do that? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Get together in your churches. Get together with other believers. Call for a fast. Call for prayer. Nothing like corporate prayer. Because the, the intention of one are spoken aloud and all the others are in agreement with that person. 
and somebody else prays something else and everybody's in agreement with that. And a third one, and everybody's in, in agreement with the third prayer intention. It's a dynamic movement of the Holy Spirit. Most people would say it's supernatural. But I'm going to use a different word. Instead of super, I'm going to use the word ultra. It's ultra-natural. It's so natural that it's seamless and it doesn't seem like anything's going on out of the ordinary. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And it just runs right straight ahead without veering to the right or to the left or in your case, to the right or to the left. The Lord is gracious, kind, forgiving. His mercies are new every morning. And He loves to hear from His children. We don't know if we're going to even return. Are we going to be able to leave a, a blessing behind? A meat offering or a drink offering to the Lord our God? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Make it a date. Make a deliberate time. Gather the people. Bring them all together. Send word out that there's a prayer meeting. Send word out that you're gathering together to corporately pray and humble ourselves before the Lord. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breasts, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Here's the first thing we see about this is a New Testament church. The bridegroom is always Jesus and His bride is always the church in the New Testament. Joel is seeing this 800 years before Jesus was even born. All in the Lord's timing. Let the bridegroom go forth. And after Babylon, several hundred years went by and boom, there was Jesus being born in a little, in a little manger in a stable in Bethlehem of Judea. He came forth. And after his life, after he had shown himself, after he had sacrificed himself on the cross and shown people, taught people what expectations they should have, the bride came forth out of her closet. She just appeared. Nobody even knew there was a closet there. But suddenly, there's a whole group of people. And they swept over the world, not just from Babylon to Israel, but they swept over the whole earth. And that's why we're here today. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? 
we see this happening. We see wars, rumors of wars. We see, a, we see the nation of Gog, Russia, and their leader. The nation is Magog. The leader is Gog. Ruling over all kinds of people. A Russian people, no less, but a people of mixed Russian heritage. Don't let them rule over us. That's what the Ukrainian people are crying out now. We don't want to be under their rule. We see what Putin is trying to do. We, we, we see what Gog is trying to accomplish. And we see even greater fulfillment coming in the near future as Gog is trying to draw Turkey into the Iran, Syrian, and Russian alliance in a fulfillment of the Scriptures themselves. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. God prophesied it. It is going to happen. Just because He's true and He's faithful to His Word. And He'll be bringing judgment from this godless country to the people of Turkey, Syria, and Iran. The headlines are not going to be pretty in the future. We see this starting to align to fulfill the prophecy now. If you have any measure of the Holy Spirit, you can see it coming. You can see it happening. We're reading of it in our headlines. We're hearing it in the media. Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen would rule over them. Wherefore, among the people, where is their God? Now, if these four countries get together, where do you think they're going to attack? Their common enemy is Israel, a land that is rich. A land that is rich. A land that is rich with intelligence, with common sense, and with the wherewithal to know when to seek God in their times. But what's really sad is that today in Israel, there's only about 10% that will admit that they worship the God Jehovah. Many of them will tell you that they are atheists. They are atheists that follow the traditions of their fathers. They'll follow the dietary laws. 
They'll follow all the good things for good works within their own land. They'll do all of those things that the law dictates to them. But they do not have the Holy Spirit. They have not had their eyes opened and they have not had their ears unplugged yet. Zechariah in chapter 12 tells us that that day will come when Jesus reveals Himself to them. They will weep. They will mourn. They will rend their garments. They'll walk around with sackcloth and ashes because they will recognize He whom they have pierced. When we get desperate for the things in our life, we need to be able to turn to the Lord just like He asks us to here. Turn ye even to Me with all your heart and with fasting. Anything? Water? Whatever you need to do. Render your heart not your garments. Turn to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and it repenteth Him of the evil. He doesn't want to use evil to get our attention, but sometimes it takes, takes a brick over your head to get his, for Him to get our attention. Don't let the heathen rule over us, they'll say. And the enemy will say, so where's their God now? I thought he was always faithful to them. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. In verse 18. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine, and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army. God intervenes. This army from the north, the north of Israel, we talked about it the last couple of weeks, do north Almost on the same global meridian from Jerusalem is Moscow. Due north. I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive them into, the, into a land barren and desolate. Well, there's only one land that's barren and desolate, and that's into Transjordan. It's into Iran, Iraq. And his face toward the East Sea, that's the Persian Gulf. And his hinder part toward the utmost sea, that's the Mediterranean. And his stink shall come up. And his ill savor shall come up. Because he hath done great things, great awful things. Fear not, O land, and be glad and rejoice, 
For the Lord will do great things, great things of restoration, great things of remedy, great things to bring hope to the people. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring forth. For the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. This is restoration. God causes the rain so that the earth is purged again and washed and drained. And the nutrients in the soil are right there then again to nurture the crops and the trees, the fruit-bearing trees. Be ye glad, O you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He hath given you the former and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Now that's exactly what happened as they returned from Babylon. God began a restoration process in the land. And after Babylon, they learned that they needed to rotate their crops. After Babylon, they did not worship false gods of the neighbors around them. Even as it is today, they do not worship the false gods that surround their country. The only, the only thing that they worship if they say that they're atheists, is themselves. And that's heartbreaking. So when the army came in, there was a garden of Eden before them and a wasteland burned behind them. And the Lord says, okay, I kicked the army out. I've taken care of your enemy and mine. And now, what are you going to do? Are you going to be thankful? Are you going to praise the Lord? Are you going to give back to Him with all your heart for the great things, the greater things that He has done more, much more than the great things that the enemy has done? The floors shall be full. The fats overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. The insects are part of his great army. God controls the movement and the flights of insects. My great army. God has a great army that works at destruction to get our attention. To get our attention. I read, in, I read online here a couple days ago that China is beginning to hoard huge quantities of food. They'll have more than 50% of the wheat and the oats 
and the grains. And what will that mean for us? There will be few food shortages in the United States. Inflation will continue. Prices go up. It's an interesting thought. You think God's trying to get our attention for our national sins? Do you think anybody's listening? You have a whole bunch of churchgoers in Washington, D.C. But the church is silent about teaching and preaching end times prophecy. Oh, that's too dis- discomforting. I don't want to hear that. Just speak to me smooth words. Tickle my ears. But I'm going to restore you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat plenty. That's future tense. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. You shall know that I am the Lord. I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord, your God, and none else. There is no other Lord, only God. You'll know that I am the Lord, and this is Lord in caps. This is Jehovah God himself, the Father. And none else of my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. The people of Jerusalem after Babylon, they came back. And they repented of their sin. But it only lasted for a couple of generations. God has blessed us this country. And we're watching the generations leave him by the wayside. We're watching people abandon their churches, abandoning God, abandoning the habits of prayer, abandoning the, ha- the habits of gathering themselves assemblies to worship him. And shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. That's what Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. It's not just the servants. It's not just the employees. It's the bosses too because their companies are restored. The signs preceding the second event, second advent. These are the things that the apostles eventually asked Jesus about. And uh, they're recorded in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. 
He says, and I will show you wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Gee, have we seen any of those on any of our media pictures lately? The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. The Lord always leaves a remnant, a remnant of His faithful people. The Lord always leaves a remnant of faithful believers who stay behind and keep the land occupied. Jerusalem has never been without any Jews. Sometimes there were very few in number. Jerusalem has been besieged 28 times during the course of history. And in each of those besiegements, there's always a remnant that stays behind so that the city will grow again, so that Israel will regain its place, so that God's people will not be destroyed utterly. The Lord is that faithful. He's been faithful to us. He's been faithful to many. In the 250 years since our country was founded, we've been through wars. We've been through attacks. We've been through famines and diseases, pandemics. And the Lord's still faithful. He still keeps showing us His grace and His mercy. So we're going to share communion today. And as we always do, we're going to take a moment and we're going to have a, a couple of minutes to pray, to speak to God individually, and to put our hearts right before Him as we turn to Him in desperation for our country, for our people, for our families, our sons and our daughters and our parents, for our soldiers that are on the front lines, but maybe specifically for our churches that are supposed to be on the spiritual front lines of the battlefield. So when you've spoken to the Lord and you're, you're at peace with Him and you're comfortable, whether you want to confess a sin or ask Him a question or ask for clarity or get something just off your mind, it's a great time to just speak quietly to Him. It's only a couple of minutes. And then when you're ready, you can come up the center aisle and help yourself, serve yourself the communion, and then return on the side aisles if you would, please.
these emblems in our hands. It's sort of humbling because during the during the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his apostles, he said, This is my blood and this is my body. My blood which is shed for you and my body which is broken for you. Jesus faced that day with a foreknowledge of what He was going to go through. The pain He would endure. And He still went forward. In the epistles it says that He looked beyond Calvary and He saw the joy that lay beyond it. Joy beyond the suffering. So that's what we're looking for today. Finding the joy in Christ as we go through these meager sufferings that we're going through. From Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you that I will not drink henceforth the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, some of the other versions and readings of the Last Supper remind us to do this in remembrance of Him. So that's what we're doing, Lord. We're remembering the stories in the Scriptures about what Jesus did for us. We remember His sufferings we remember the spilled blood, the crown of thorns, the nails through his hands and feet. We remember the spear piercing through his chest and his heart. We remember even the things before those, the scourging being spit upon, being hated and disbelieved, a full and complete total rejection from those that were called His holy ones, His chosen people. Lord, we're humbled by what You went through for us. We're humbled by Your sacrifice knowing full well that when you came to Bethlehem, you knew it would end at Calvary. Lord, help us to grasp the importance of this time, the importance of these prophecies, and the importance of their fulfillment, all for our benefit, that we might live with you in eternity.
Lord, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you're going to do. Thank you for all. In Jesus' name. Let's partake of these emblems together. Heavenly Father, we are indeed humbled by what You've done for us. That You would give Your life to another. And even as it says in the Scriptures, there is no greater love that a man can have other than he give his life for another. Lord, thank You for saving us. Thank You for expending Your life on our behalf. We praise You, Lord. And to be reminded of the lyrics that we sang earlier, Lord, help us to be the men and the women that you want us to be. Continue that changing work in us. Send your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our lives that you might reign on the throne of our hearts forever. We love you and we thank you. We ask your blessings, continued blessings at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From the Psalms, Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Thy way may be known upon earth, Thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. The things that we read in the media are scary, are scary. But the Lord comes and intervenes to save His people. We will not be utterly destroyed. I was listening to a commentator as I studied for this passage, and he was somebody who went to Israel quite often. He would take tours of his church people over there. And somebody asked him one time, aren't you afraid to go over there with all the bombings and the, you know, the battles with the Palestinians and all of the danger? And he looked at the person that asked him and he said, I feel safer in Israel than I do walking the streets in Los Angeles. <laughs> the Lord will watch over us. God bless you. Wonderful week in the Lord. Uh, coffee will be up in a few minutes downstairs. And uh, I think there's some homemade snacks down there too. So stick around for a while. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com. 
or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.